Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I am on a high right now. We just wrapped my busiest weekend of the year. That's why I didn't post an episode last week. I was literally living my Run This World mission, surrounded by hundreds of other women who cared deeply about pushing themselves past their limits, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Uh, We had our fifth annual Skirt Sports 13er 5K and 10K race. And it was a true celebration of fitness. It's something Siri Lindley taught me to think of a race as a celebration of fitness. I'm so proud of this course. I crafted it with one thing in mind. What would I do on my birthday? What would my ideal birthday look like? So usually that means get in a great workout, eat cake and whatever else I want, and celebrate with friends and family all before 10 a.m. if possible. So I crafted a course that is really tough. It rolls up and down beautiful Boulder County roads and pops out on a mesa for stunning views the last three miles or so. And then at the finish, I enlisted my good friend, Kim Rosenbarger, who I interviewed, I think episode six or seven, to provide every single runner a big old slice of delicious Kim and Jake's gourmet gluten-free cake, which is absolutely better than any cake you'll ever have, gluten-free or normal. And what's really crazy is that while races all over the country are decreasing in size, ours grew this year by a lot. So, you know, the really, actually, the really special part of the race is that our running start class graduates. They graduated on Sunday by doing their first ever 5K. To remind you, Running Start is the nonprofit I founded last year to help women change their lives through running. And it's a local program right now, but we have so much momentum, we're raising funds to grow it. The 5K on Sunday was the epitome of life transformation. There were 18 women who had huge barriers to fitness that ranged from obesity to homelessness to drug addiction to mental illness to the loss of a child to chronic pain and more. The list goes on. And, you know, here's the deal those issues are still present in these women, but running has now become a way for them to cope. And what it allows them to do is to start to turn the tide and to get unstuck in their lives. And I have to read you what one of them, Beth, wrote to us after the race. Hi, Nicole. I wanted to take a second to thank you. This program and what you do, it's connecting women and changing lives in such an amazing way. I am so thankful I pressed send on that application. 
I am so thankful for Running Start and what you're promoting. I don't think you have any idea that Running Start has helped me to save my life. I'm going to continue on this path and continue to lose weight. I will one day run five days because of you and your vision. Thank you. My husband thanks you. My kids thank you for making sure I am still around five years from now. You have impacted me and changed my life. Thank you. It's such an amazing feeling. We know what Running Start is doing for people, but to get a note like that, it just drives home how important this program is. I also want to let you know that after the race, Beth, who wrote that note, signed up for a summer running series called The Six Pack, put on by 3W Races, where they run six races six weeks in a row, and uh, she is on her way. Really cool. All right, now that we're all inspired, I am going to pile on some more inspiration. My guest today, Ashley Eisenmanger, is the youngest person I have interviewed. At just 20 years old, I wasn't sure if she would even have some of the insights that we all seek through this podcast to help us find deeper connections to ourself and the world around us. But I think you'll be as impressed as I am with Ashley. Blind or nearly blind since birth, she has navigated the world in a different way than most of us. I was introduced to Ashley by a mutual friend who read about her triathlon accomplishments. Yes, I said triathlon, and she's blind, (laughs) as in swim, bike, run, blind at age 20. You know, she's just got drive like you can't believe. Today we hit on so many great topics and her optimistic outlook on life shines through in all she does. I know you'll enjoy this one. So with that, let's bring her on. All right, Ashley, are you ready to go? Yeah. Cool. I'm so excited that I found you. I don't even know how I found you. How did we come together? Um, I think so there was the, the Teen Vogue article um, written by um, Megan, and I think she knows you, and she connected us. Oh, yes, for sure, because you're already famous. Okay, <laughs> here's the deal. You are still in college, right? Yes. Yep, I'm a junior. You're a junior in, at uh, North Central? Yep, uh, out in the suburbs of Chicago. Ah, yes, I know it well. And um, you're you're almost on summer break, aren't you? Yeah, I finish up Wednesday, actually, so a couple days. Oh, good. By the time this airs, you will be on summer break. <laughs> yeah, that'll be nice. <laughs> Which is cool. So I'm going back in time. You're Are you 20 years old right now? Yep, I'm 20. Okay, so it's summer break. You're junior. What do you do? What do you do in the summers? Um, well, if you're any normal college student, you sleep excessively. Um, Got to make up for all that lost time. Uh, I am training for paratriathlon nationals uh, at the end of June, so I'm in the thick of my like final build to that race. Um, and then this summer is pretty unique for me because I am going to be gone all of July training with my first guide dog. Oh my gosh. Okay, so in other words, you're not a normal college student who's going to sleep the summer away. You're... Long story short, yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> much. That's, that about sums it up. You know, and you're doing big, huge things. So the first thing you said is you're training for para triathlon nationals. 
everybody listening already knows that you are legally blind, but I we really need to just dig right in and talk about what it means to be blind. Were you born this way? Yeah, so um, first bombshell of the story, uh, I'm a triplet, so... <laughs> that is a bombshell. <laughs> That's a very rare thing, too. Gosh, you have a lot of unique things. All right, let's keep like, it rolling. <laughs> I like to keep people on their toes. Um, so I'm a triplet. We were born very premature, um, about 13 and a half weeks early. Um, and so as a result of being that small, um, our retinas and different structures within our eyes didn't develop all the way. Um, so in like the sliding scale that is vision loss, um, I'm pretty severely affected. I have no vision in my right eye and my left eye. I can see um, light and large objects. So I can't like make out people's faces, um, but I can see like buildings and I can see like large groups of trees. And if someone's wearing like an obnoxiously bright shirt, I can sometimes see it depending on like the background that they're in or the lighting. And how obnoxious it is. That too, it has to be super obnoxious. I'm talking like <laughs> construction yellow obnoxious. Actually, that's trending, you know, safety colors. Um, right. So you're in your uh, three sisters, correct? Yep. Yeah. So did they also have the same condition? Yeah. So we all have um, the same eye condition. It's retinopathy of prematurity. Um, and I like to joke because um, vision loss in general is such a sliding scale. Like you could barely need glasses or you could be total lights out blindness and you fall within the spectrum of vision loss. Um, and so my I'm the oldest. My middle sister is very, um, she's much less affected and uh, she drives a car and, and all of that. So I always joke that like, I have the worst vision, but like I get the better end of the deal because she has to drive me everywhere. I love um, it. <laughs> hey. My, my youngest sister, she, uh, she kind of falls like in the middle between where my middle sister Emily and I are. Uh, Kaylee has quite a bit of remaining vision, um, but she doesn't have enough to be able to drive a car. So it's very like spectrum based. Okay. So, so you three little adorable girls come out and you all have, you're healthy other than your vision impairment in varying yep, degrees. Yep. And did your parents have any other kids? Not at the time. No. Um, Wait, they we, had we, them after you? They had more? <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a little brother too. He uh, just graduated high school. Oh gosh, this is amazing because I just imagine being thrown into the world of new parenting with triplets and then with triplets that, you know, you've got to maybe have a few, uh, there are some special things they need to do for you. I'm assuming as you're, you know, growing up with vision impairment, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, different like uh, classes and like I learned braille and I learned how to use um, a white cane to navigate my surroundings safely. Um, but I think what was really cool and kind of a big reason that I'm the type of person and the type of athlete that I am today is my parents. They didn't know what they didn't know. And they kind of just raised us like they, you would raise any other kid regardless of like ability or lack thereof. Um, I played softball, I played basketball, like I tried all of the sports. They basically let me try anything I wanted to try. We, we had a go-kart when I was six and I just took it out into like this big like mass empty field and drove around until I didn't want to drive around anymore. It was so open. Um, so I got to do everything that um, 
like your average kid got to do growing up. Um, I just did it a little bit differently because I couldn't see most of what was happening. Would you say that your sisters and you are close? Do you have a good relationship? Yeah, we do. And do you all go to the same college? We don't, actually. Um, they both still are at home. Um, so I'm about two and a half hours from home um, at school, and I was the first to kind of, like, break away and, and move out, um, which was interesting. Uh, so they're both they're both doing college closer to home and staying at home. Um, and then, yeah, I'm in Chicago, and it's been good. Um, they They come up every once in a while, and I come home every once in a while, and we kind of all have very different like life paths right now. So it was like a natural go, go do what you need to do kind of split. It's so interesting because, you know, siblings, there's all kinds of different relationships we have with our siblings. You know, there can be rivalries and there can be protectiveness and, or you can just drift apart and not be friends, you know, but it sounds like, so I guess my, one of my thoughts is, did they have any protective nature towards you and, you know, helping you be able to navigate a path that they had a slightly different level of, not slightly, a a vastly different level of uh, vision impairment? Um, I think what's funny about that is everybody kind of expects that to be the case. We were, we were all three such different people that the things that we chose to do in our free time and the friend groups that we chose to hang out with were so different. Um, I, I kind of just did my own thing. Um, I have flown all over the country by myself without them, um, which I think is funny because they're taking their first solo flights, um, on vacation this summer, um, and I just, I'm one to, to take initiative, so as, like, an opportunity presents itself, I don't really think about, like, how I'm going to make it work, I just know that I'm going to make it work, um, and I'm super adaptable on the fly, and um, I think I developed that a little bit earlier in life, so I just kind of, like, took off and was like, well, if you guys want to come, like, you're more than welcome to come, but, like, I'm going to figure it out either way, so... Wow, you know, that is such a trait that is so common in entrepreneurs. You're going to you're going to start something huge in your life, I can tell. It's that you just I'm going to kind of quote you here. I don't think about how I'm going to make it work. I just make it work. I yep. mean, there is no in between. You you just decide you're going to do something and you do it. Yep, exactly. Oh my gosh, this is such a cool theme. So <laughs> you talked about playing sports when you were young. Tell me a little bit more about how, you know, was there any adaptation that you needed? How do you play softball with vision impairment? <laughs> um, it's funny because I, so I, I was mainstreamed in school uh, my entire K-12 and I guess college to education. I never went to a school for the blind. So I didn't have much interaction with uh, blind students. I mean, there were a few like local, but never any that went to my school. And so I was just like, well, I mean, my friends are all doing it this way, so I'm going to do it this way. So like softball um, was a very short-lived athletic career of mine. Um, <laughs> you know, just, it did, I was a lefty. And so like the coach was super excited, but like, it just, you really need to be able to see at least a little bit to do that one. Um <laughs> Basketball, though, I played basketball all through middle school and high school, and I absolutely loved it. Um, I kind of worked with my team, and um, I learned 
to count steps on the court. So before every game, I would walk up and down the court, and I played down on the block, so I knew exactly where the hoop was from where I needed to stand. We set up a zone defense so that I didn't have to move around an insane amount. My teammates always knew to be communicating what they were doing verbally. Um, my coach knew that he couldn't yell at me while we were in the middle of a play because I would lose count and then everything would be thrown off. Um, so it was a, a, definitely a team effort, um, but everybody was so excited. And now it's really fun to get reactions like what I got from you when I told you that I played softball and basketball because there just aren't a lot of blind people that would even consider trying those things. That's absolutely true. And what I, you know, that point that you made about it being a a team interactive team environment in order to have success. That's not something that I think a lot of people aren't willing to go there, you know? So you were in a really, I think a a really special environment growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of support. I went to a really small high school. Um, so I went to school with the same group of kids from kindergarten through high school. We all like played, played each other's houses growing up. Like, we got super close super fast and when I came into high school um I somehow ended up with a locker around like half the senior class so like I became really good friends with them and like um just put myself in a really good position that like fostered inclusion um and I think a lot of times we hear about inclusivity not being the priority in mainstream high schools and my high school was by no means perfect but um the students that I chose to associate with that was our priority was, well, we're not going to do this if Ashley can't do it with us. So we need to figure out how to have Ashley involved kind of thing. Wow. What high school did you go to? Um, I went to Unity High School. It's in a super small town in central Illinois mm-hmm. called Tolono. Yep, absolutely. Uh, that's That's an incredible experience. You know, one thing that I think we talked about before we started the interview was the word disability. You know, we brought it up and it's it's a way that people can define, mm-hmm. you know, what what's going on with you, how and why you can race as a, in the paratriathlon nationals, you know, yep. as a Paralympic or a para-athlete, right? right? So, but to me, that word is, I have mixed feelings about it because it, you know, it, it implies a negativity in a sense. So how do you frame that word? I think, yeah, there's definitely the negative, like, stereotype associated with it. Um, and so, like, I just make an effort in all of the interactions that I have and all the people that I come across um, to change their perception of the word because it's not going anywhere. Like, I have a disability. My disability is that I'm blind. Um, that's not changing for the foreseeable future, um, and I, I don't want it to change. Uh, so I just, I work to change, uh, perception and perspective and, um, kind of try to put a positive spin on a word that most people don't see as positive. I had an opportunity to interview a good friend of mine named Trish Downing. Are you familiar with her? I'm not. She's, um, she's an incredible woman. She was hit by a car about 15 years ago and, She's paralyzed and she's a, she's a triathlete and, and she's done all kinds of cool sports now. But uh, she has this, you know, kind of hits back at you when you when you talk about disability and she'll say, well, I believe we all have disabilities. Mine, you can see what's yours. Yeah. I love that. 
That's great. I just love it. I think it's so cool. But um, because we all do, you know, we've all got things about ourselves that we might consider that could be limiting to other people, right? Definitely. So I love too. you brought up the idea of reframing, uh, creating a new perspective. Mm-hmm. I recently watched your TEDx talk. <laughs> So yes. we, we will be posting a link to this. Now, everybody listening, Ashley is 20 years old. She did a TEDx. I mean, seriously. One of the first things that came to my mind was, are you less nervous because you can't see everyone <laughs> in the audience? It's funny. So I, I'm very fortunate, and then I get a lot of opportunities to um, share my story and, and speak to various groups of people. And when the TEDx opportunity came along, I was originally like, no, no, like I'm not formal enough for this. I don't want to. I don't want to do this. Uh, and then I got convinced to do it, of course. And I, it didn't really take much convincing at all, honestly. Um, I think I was the most nervous I've ever been to speak in my life to give that TED talk, and I couldn't see anybody in the crowd. I literally could not. See, I could only see like the light coming from the lights that were shining on me, and I'm like. I don't know why I'm so nervous. Like, I can't see these people. They're going to hear my talk, and they're going to know that I can't see them. So, like, this this should be fine. But I don't, I don't think seeing your audience helps in my case. Like, I, I, I don't know that I want to see them, but sometimes not being able to see them almost makes it a little bit more stressful because there's no, uh, like gauging, like, are they, are they listening? Or is like everybody on their phone texting? Like what's happening? Oh, that's such a good point. But you know, what's funny now that you say this, uh, I've been on the stage a few times too, and there are bright lights shining on you and you often can't see your audience at all. All you can do is hear them. (laughs) And that sound hearing the, uh, the re the reactions to the, different parts of your speech can be incredibly motivating or (laughs) have the opposite effect depending on what you're trying to achieve. So I guess I want to be, I do want to dig into your Ted talk. Let's talk about this first. Um, let's talk about the topic. Just give everybody the lowdown. Um, so I was talking about perception of adversity. Um, and basically, Kind of back to what your friend says, um, the premise was that everybody has something that forces adversity, like we've all got stories, right? And um, you can choose how you handle it, and when you choose to approach it with a positive lens, it doesn't typically last as long. It doesn't, your adversity, when you approach it with a positive lens, it becomes a part of your life, usually in a good way, you know, you're kind of taking something terrible and making it something great. Um, people will often ask me, and I think I even made this mention in my, my Ted talk was that like, Oh, Ashley, if I could give you all of your sight back tomorrow, like no loopholes, there's like no fail, like all of your sight, like, would you take it? And without missing a beat, my answer is always no, because I'm who I am because I can't see. And I don't look at blindness as a negative attribute. Um, I think it's allowed me to do a lot of good things in my life and given me amazing opportunities uh, for not only my personal growth, but the growth of other populations and other groups of people uh, that wouldn't happen if I could see. Um, yeah, would it be great to be able to like 
drive or you know like read a menu at a restaurant absolutely but like those things are all minimal in the broader scope of things and that was kind of the focus of the TED talk was like we've all got something but if we choose to look at that thing positively that's gonna like radiate and affect other people in positive ways as well that's absolutely true because there's some sort of contagious nature at play with positivity it's I'm a firm believer I'm right there with you and you know the opposite of positivity is negativity and it's it closes us up and it, it it sort of shrinks our horizons and so even though you can't let's say literally see it seems to me that your vision for this world is greater than most yeah, I, I would I would agree with you on that, and I appreciate the compliment. If you could define yourself right now as a twenty year old woman in one word, one defining trait, what would that be today? Oh wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think if I could define myself in one word, it would be. Wow, this is real. I've never been asked this before. Um, I think hungry, not in the like literal sense, but in the sense that like I know that I've got a lot more that I can give this world and, and give the people that I'm fortunate enough to work with and interact with, and I want to be the best that I can be in every situation, every day. Um, so I'm just constantly in this state of like growth and wanting to to be better, to, to do more, to be more, um, to know that like I have not reached whatever my potential is. And I firmly believe that you never truly reach your full potential um, because as you get closer, it just keeps, the bar just keeps rising. Um, and so I'm just taking all of these experiences and all of the adventures that I go on in life, uh, you know, as they come and, and just trying to make the most out of everything that I, I get to do. Okay. That is one of the best answers. I've never asked anyone that question. I've really put <laughs> you on the spot there and you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So hungry, hungry is huge. It, it, you said something about reaching your potential mm-hmm. and how the bar keeps rising. I think Maybe you need to store this podcast episode away and come back to it in 10 years because if you ask yourself this question, how do you define yourself every 10 years, I can guarantee your word is going to be a little bit different. Maybe you'll always be hungry, but other things in your life you know, will play a role. And so there's all kinds of words that can come into play. I know that's true about myself, but I think that's interesting for anybody listening. Um, but as far as this potential bar keeps rising, right? right? This this can be looked at as sort of a a negative thing to some people because it can make you feel like you can never reach your goal, right? So how do you reframe this idea that you can always continue to improve in a positive way? Can you still be content and satisfied with the things you're doing, knowing you can always do more? I think that's the beauty of experience in general is that the bar keeps rising, yes, but like I couldn't tell you what the bar is. I can tell you like where I want to be in 
a couple months, like what I want August to look like. But to tell you that like, that's my end all be all, like absolutely not. Like I have no idea what's in store. You know, you always hear the best is yet to come. Okay, it hasn't come yet. I don't know what the best is, but I'm going to keep trying to figure it out. And the only way to figure out what the best is, is to just keep making myself better, um, putting more into whatever I'm choosing to do in life, whether that's school, which is my number one priority, triathlon, training with this guide dog, uh, spending time with my friends and family. It doesn't really matter what context we put it in. It's more just the the wanting to be better in that situation that innately rises the bar. We're not never reaching our goals because my goal may be to to podium at nationals, um, but like that's not like the end all be all for me. Like I I want to do more with my life in triathlon. I want to do more with my life in school. Um, these are just steps along the way to get to whatever the bar. And I'm using air quotes that you obviously can't see because this is a podcast. <laughs> but oh, I love it. Nobody well, actually knows. Yes, it, it, I love this. Um, you're you've got a lot of I don't know. I looking back when I was 20, I feel like I had the same sort of wisdom. And then at some point along the way, life gets messy and practical and you lose this. And so it's really fun to speak with you today. You're my youngest guest I've ever had on the show. And um, it's fun to dive back in because it's so clear to you. I love it. I want to talk about your athletics now. I read um, the Teen Vogue article you did your first marathon at 18 years old, right? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I ran the Houston Marathon in 2016. Yeah. It I said it was 19, 20, actually. It said 2015 in the article. But anyway, <laughs> that's yeah. all right. So you weren't even 20, and you'd already run your first marathon. Like, how did you even get into running? Um, when I was in middle school, I was kind of at the point where I had really, I mean, I figured it out way before middle school, but middle school was when it started to affect me was that like my blindness is, it makes me very different from my classmates and it makes my approach to school very different than my classmates. And I was really struggling with this whole trying to fit in like you're 12, 13 years old, like the last thing you want to do is be different. And my vision was to a point and it's, um, I was at, at a point in my loss of vision where reading print wasn't really an option and I needed to switch and I needed to, everything was going to look different than my classmates. And I was like, no, like I need to like fit in. Like I can't just like stick out even more. Like I already, like I'm already different enough. I'm already a triplet. Like people already think that's, you know, unique or whatever like I don't want to have to change myself even more and so for a while I I fought you know learning all of these things that would help make my life easier I mean eventually I just didn't have an option and I had to give in and I had to learn and uh, a teacher of mine she my my my, uh, eighth grade PE teacher she suggested that I go for a run and at the time anybody that knew me knew that like I would no no running running was not for me like why why do I want to just make myself tired and and sweaty and like what what is this accomplishing nothing um my sister ran track and the running joke was that like she would she would be the runner of the family and that was it 
Um, so I humored her. She was like, this coach, she was like, Ash, just, just go for a run and, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. She's like, if you hate it, like you never have to do it again, but like, just, just try it. Like, what, what do you have to lose? And I was like, at this point, nothing. Um, okay. So I, I went home and I changed clothes. I ran four miles and went back in the next morning and was like, okay, um, so you were kind of right. Um, this is a thing that I'm probably going to keep doing. Wait, your first um, run was four miles. Yeah. That is amazing. In middle school? Yeah, I was in eighth grade. I was 13. Oh, gosh. I love it. You are a natural. It was meant to be. (laughs) That's basically what she told me the next day. She was like, yep. She was like, you were either going to run half a mile and stop, or you were going to literally run until your body wouldn't let you run anymore, and that's what you did. I, I I have a thought about this. So would you have found it on your own, or what is the importance of other people, coaches and guides who help us see something we can't see about ourselves? I don't think I would have. I, I don't know, honestly. Um, I don't know that I would have started running if she hadn't suggested. I I think very highly of her. Um, we're good friends now that I'm out of school. And um, she's just been such a huge influence in my life. And um, I, I take her word very uh, very much to heart. And so when she said, go run, like I knew she wasn't just like trying to brush me off. Like I knew that she had a reason for telling me this. And, um, I've, I've had the same thing happen, you know, with guides and in triathlon. Um, I don't see like, I, when I look at it, myself as an athlete, like I'm an athlete, I'm, I'm, I'm doing things, I'm exercising a lot, blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't see like the potential that people see. And so it almost has to be like, very obviously pointed out to me like, oh, Ashley, like you're, you're kind of good at this. You should keep doing this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. So, okay. So keep going about your running. Yeah. So, uh, I, I ran just casually like five Ks. Um, we didn't know that blind runners used guides. So like, I just had someone run with me and like, let me know if I was going to run into something or if we were going to turn left or right. Like, looking back, I'm not really sure how I stuck it out because that was a terrible method, completely horrible method for running. Um, Do you... My my junior year... Can I ask you something quick? Do you, um, like, at the time when you're you're trying running in the form you were using with somebody else being your informal guide, right? Mm -hmm. Do you fall a lot? Do you run into things? Like, do you get injured? What happens? Um, when I first started running, like that very first run, I actually went to a, a pond in my neighborhood that had a sidewalk around it so that I could feel the grass if I stepped off the sidewalk. And I just walked a lap to make sure that there were no like bikes or branches or whatever on the sidewalk. And then I just started running loops and it was three loops to a mile. So I, you can imagine that keeping count of laps is probably the hardest part of the run. Oh, true. Um, true. So how do you know where your starting point is? you just kind of like time it out like I knew about what I was running a mile in I counted some steps um fell back on my like basketball background and counted steps um and there was a fountain at one end of the pond so as I knew if I could hear it it wasn't a big pond obviously one third of a mile loop um I knew once I heard the fountain that I was where I had started okay let me ask you about that then are your other senses more uh developed than people who have sight um 
Yeah, I get that question a lot. And usually it's in the form of, do you have supersonic bat hearing? Right. Um, That's what I wanted to ask, but... Um, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think in like an office setting, I would test higher, um, and my ability to hear. I think what it comes down to is the human body processes information, obviously using our senses. And I think it's something like 83% of the information that we process, we process visually, which isn't really like an option for me. So I have to process it other ways, which forces me to learn how to hone and use my ears better. Um, I learn voices like people learn faces. So I'm constantly using my ears to interpret the world around me. And I think that just forces them to become more sharp. Um, that is, that's a great point. You know, we may hear the fountain just like you, but we're not listening for it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's just background noise for you. For me, it's a make or break in keeping yeah. track of my run. Yep. That's a great point. Okay. Great. So, so your running just progresses, right? And you decide you want to do a marathon? Yeah. My, my junior year of high school, I ran my first half marathon. I did the same thing again my senior year. Um, and then my freshman year of college, um, I, I cut back on my mileage a little bit because I was doing some triathlon stuff, just kind of dabbling, trying to figure it out. Um, and then I was approached, um, in the fall of my sophomore year of college, uh, by an organization out in Houston. And they were like, do you want to come run a marathon with us? We're looking for blind runners. And they thought I had already run a marathon they didn't know that this would be my first. And I was like, well, it depends on when it is because Houston is kind of far away and like I'm a student before an athlete. So I need to make sure that I don't have to miss a ton of school. And it just so happened that it was Martin Luther King weekend in January. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this is like a sign. I don't know. I was naive. I had no idea what I was getting into. So I text him that night and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll run the marathon. Sign me up. He's like, great. He's like, how's your training going? You probably should have started training a month ago. Like, what's your mileage at? And I was like, wait, um, it'll be fine. Like, don't worry. I'm, I'm good. I got it. He's like, you know what you're doing. You're a seasoned marathoner. And I'm like, um, no. No, I'm not seasoned anything. I'm a teenager, um, but I'm going to figure it out, and it's going to be great. And I figured it out, and I pulled out a Boston qualifying time, which was really cool. Oh, my gosh. That kind of story is just hilarious because (laughs) it's like you said about your parents. What they didn't know, they didn't know. And when you're in the mindset of I'm just going to figure it out, that's the only way to be. It's amazing. So you had a Boston qualify. Did you run Boston? I didn't. Um, I injured my Achilles tendon uh, over the summer and um, have been fighting with that for quite some time and kind of shifted my focus from endurance running to short course triathlon. So uh, it didn't really fit in my training goals and and schedule. I have every intention of eventually down the line running another marathon, requalifying and getting to do Boston because it's kind of been like a dream since I like first started running when I was 13. Um, But yeah, I didn't, I passed on it this year, um, but I will run those streets eventually. Yes, you will. So you switched over to triathlon or it sounds like you were dabbling while you were, while your running was increasing as well. I was, yeah. I uh, 
after the summer after I graduated high school, there's this theme of like switching like school ages in my life and like new things happening. So we'll see what happens after college. Um, I graduated high school and uh, I was doing a training run. And at this point I was running with guides and we were running tethered. Like I'd figured that much out. So I uh, I know what that means to run tethered, but maybe you can explain, give people something to imagine. Yeah. So, so as a blind athlete and a sighted guide, you run basically connected via like a bungee cord and for me that's at the waist um I've also done it where I hold something in my hand and they hold the other end um it's just a way for us to stay close together and for her to give me more than just verbal direction um but kind of like a physical like tug or or a push or their slack um etc uh it's just another like method of safe safe running great okay so what's you know what was the biggest challenge for you swim obviously you're already a runner but in cycling you also have a bungee no i <laughs> wish um i know that, cycling, that would be a little a tandem bike yeah okay yeah so um my sighted guide uh, is the same person for the entire race um she is on the front of the bike and she's in charge of shifting the gears and doing all of the steering um, and i am directly behind her uh, and we both pedal. That's another question I always get is, are you the only one that pedals or do you just have to sit back there? No, we both pedal. Uh, but my handlebars are fixed, so they don't move. Like, I don't get to steer, unfortunately. Um, so that's how we do the bike. And then the swim, we use um, a tether uh, on the thigh um, or, like, various points on the leg um, that tethers us together so that we can... Uh, not like lose each other in the water. Obviously, my guide does all the sighting because my sight doesn't allow me to sight. <laughs> right, exactly. So, are, is your goal to have someone who is maybe a little stronger athlete so that they're not behind you and you don't have to yeah. drag them? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the faster I get, the harder that is becoming. But um, yeah, I'm always like, what are your paces on your worst day? Because on your worst day, I need you to be faster than me. Yeah, that's a really good point. What's the toughest part of triathlon for you? Um, other than finding guides that are willing and able to to guide, um, I think for me, especially starting out in the sport, the toughest part was the swim um, because you got to think for a second. I already can't see, and then you put me underwater and you take away my ability to hear clearly. Um, so that is literally the definition of sensory deprivation. I have no concept of how fast we're moving, where we're going, how much time we've spent in the water or how much further we have to go. I literally just have to swim until my guide taps me to tell me we're done. Oh my gosh. That is so crazy. I mean, there is something very liberating about swimming that I I grew up a swimmer, but it was only after I was pregnant and I swam just to feel weightless and I realize that it's quiet underwater, you know, mm-hmm. so there are that that does affect everyone, but they can see <laughs> so right. I can only trying to swim with my eyes closed is really difficult. And our coach growing up would occasionally have us try it. But you know, you're banging into lane lines. And oh, yeah, yeah, it's nuts. So um, so you've been successful in triathlon, though. Tell us a little bit. Tell us about your try career so far. <laughs> yeah, um, I the current paratriathlon national champion, uh, so that's pretty cool. 
um, that put me on the U.S. national development team um, in the pipeline for the Tokyo 2020 Paralympics. Wow. Amazing. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's really just an honor. It's, it's, most days it's surreal to like think that like four years ago I didn't know what a triathlon was and now I'm competing alongside and training alongside some of the best athletes in the country and in the world. Um, and then, you know, in addition to that, I did do uh, a half Ironman. I did Muncie last summer, um, down the line, way down the line. I have every intention of doing a full Ironman. Um, but that's so far off the radar for right now. I like to, to keep things fast. Well, you have a lot of time to do an Ironman because you know, you're, you, you won't peak in endurance sports until you're, what, 40 to 50 years old. So, yeah, yeah keep going with what is, I think, driving you at the moment. I'm really excited to watch what you do this summer. I can't wait to follow your national race in June. I want to hear a little more about what you're doing in July, too, because you talked about a guide dog. I was wondering if you have a service dog. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't. So I use my cane. Uh, it's a white cane. Um, I use it everywhere, um, all the time. And uh, I'm finally kind of to this point in my life where I do enough things that it would be nice to uh, have an alternate form of safe travel, which would be a guide dog. Um, and so I kind of I pulled the trigger uh, earlier in the fall and applied. Um, I'm really fortunate in that the school I'm going to, I've worked for every summer since I was uh, 17. So um, they all know me really well. I know them and their program really well. Um, and it's just a really great fit. Oh, that's so cool. So your guide dog then opens up a little more freedom for you? Yeah. So um, I think the easiest way to explain it is that uh, the white cane finds objects. So I get to be super obnoxious and bang into things because I don't know they're there until I find them. Um, and it's it's great because I'm completely in control of where I'm at and what I'm doing. And as I find things, I react to them and I move around them. Um, but it's not super convenient when you're in crowds or when you're in a hurry or just traveling in like a, like a city. So if I'm downtown, it's just super annoying. Um, and so with the dog, it's an object avoider. So obviously the dog has sight and it can see things as we approach them and it moves us as a team around the object. So nine times out of 10, you don't know you're moving around like a tree until somebody else points it out to you because your dog has just taken you slightly left. Um, so it makes for much more fluid travel um, and movements. Um, it's a little bit more natural as you're uh, navigating your surroundings. This is going to be one of the most important relationships of your life. It is. Wow. Amazing. Of course, you know, we all always want to pet the, the service dogs, whatever. You know, it's probably the worst <laughs> thing you can be doing. But yeah, they're so you can just see something in them that is so special. And it, it probably it's just the love and bonding they have with their person. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about that aspect of it. Um, just because I've seen so many clients come through and like get matched. And I, I kind of like you see those moments where it like clicks in training and you're like, yep, this dog's got my back and it knows that I've got its back. And 
we're going to be a great team. And I'm really excited to get to experience that firsthand. It's one of the, the few things I can compare it to is I've done a couple of walks with dogs just through various experiences that I've had growing up. And I think it's very comparable to the feeling I get when I'm running, which is true freedom. It's like one of the only times in my day when I'm tethered to a guide is when I don't feel blind or I don't feel inhibited by my blindness. Um, and it's kind of the same thing when I'm walking with a dog in harness is like, it's seeing for me, like we get to be this great partnership where like I get to provide for it, its ability to like, you know, live and, and work and do what I need it to do and play. Um, but it's, it's being, it's acting as my eyes, essentially. It's the missing piece of like, it's giving me what I can't give myself. Oh, oh I just, I cannot wait to see you in action. <laughs> Whew, you've got a big summer ahead. So that's the short term, right? We yes. talked a little bit about, you know, the, the greater future. What does your greater future hold? Do you have a bucket list? I'm slowly developing a bucket list. Um, I think right now my plan is to just, obviously school is my priority. I graduate uh, next spring. Um, and I'm not really sure after that. I don't know if I'll go to grad school. I don't know if I'll find a, a real adult job and work for a little bit. Um, What's a real keep... adult job? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all want to know. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously something that, you know, pays the bills, like going to have to move out and, and completely move out of my parents' house. Uh, right now I live there in the summers. Um, you know, be an adult, start doing, you know, all the responsible adult things like paying bills and, you know, living life. That's um, true. That is true. So you can define what a real adult job means to you. <laughs> How about that? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a communications major, um, in school right now and I don't foresee, um, that being my, like, I don't, I don't think I'm the kind of person that's gonna, like, have a job and keep it for, like, the, like, duration of my adult working life. I'm not very content for, like, long periods of time in the same environment, um, so, that's why I'm like just trying to figure out like grad school, no grad school, like find a job with my comm degree now, work for a little bit and then reevaluate, um, take some time off of adult life and train full time and see if I can make a run for Tokyo. Like I've got a lot of options in front of me. How do you handle disappointment? It's a good question. Um, take it in stride. Obviously, um, I'm really fortunate in that I have amazing people in my corner that support me through um, the great times and the not so great times, whether that's athletically or personally. Um, and I think I've learned the beauty of like relying on that network of people. Um, I think so often people think that they're like they have to like <clears throat> they have to stick it out alone or that this can only affect them they can't like show other people that they're affected by it and I learned pretty quickly that that's really not an option and that um humans are meant to like thrive on connectivity and relationships and you can't have that if you don't actually communicate um so anytime something comes up along the way um because there are those times you know I dealt with an injury I'm still dealing with an injury um and it's not allowing me to compete at the level that I want to compete and 
um, my, my friends and my, my trainer and my coaches, they've all been great at like just kind of keeping me in check and reminding me that like this moment isn't the like end all be all for me. That's a, that's a great way to put it. And it kind of goes back even to your TEDx talk about, uh, changing your perspective, you know, when Mm -hmm. things aren't going your way. Uh, other people can help us do that. You have a lot of inner strength and fortitude that allows you to do that for yourself. What advice would you give to people who are stuck, who need to change and shift and redefine where they are? Um, for me, it goes back to finding your passion. So we've all got something that just ignites a fire within us. And we may or may not want to admit that to ourselves or to our friends and family. But like, Everybody, when I say, like, what's your passion, almost everybody can give me an answer. Whether they want to or not, they, they know what it is. And it's just going back to that and finding a way to incorporate that into your life. Because even if it's not realistic for it to be your entire life, um, finding that, like, time in the week where you can, like, get back to what you love may alter how you look at the things that you might not be loving in your life, Um, whether that's work or a relationship or whatever it may be. um, You know what it's like to feel happy because you know when you're doing whatever this passion of yours is, you're happy. That'll kind of like spill over into other areas of your life and you'll see uh, like where a change might need to happen or where something's going to have to give. Hey, that's a great answer. Thank you. It starts with What's your passion? All right, we have been rocking today. We are actually well over the 5K point of the Run This World podcast, which I do every single time because all of my guests are incredible and you are absolutely right up there, the best. Um, So I'm going to ask you the final question that I ask everybody. I know, here it comes, no pressure. (laughs) So if you could give our listeners one final piece of advice one nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way what would it be um you would say you um have more control than you think in what you do and how other people respond to that um so simply doing what you love what makes you happy has this adverse effect on so many people that you may never meet or may not even know or listening or or observing what you're doing. Um, So by by living a life that makes you happy, you inadvertently make other people happy. And I think that's how you start to reach towards your potential and, and make the most of the cards that you've been dealt. Way to go. You knocked that right out of the park. That's amazing. Living the life that makes you happy inadvertently makes other people happy. It's contagious. You are contagious. I cannot wait to see what you go out there and continue to do in the world. Thanks for being on the show today, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me. What a rock star. I wrapped this interview with such an infusion of energy. She is a woman on a mission. I love how eloquently Ashley speaks of big topics like the fact that hitting your potential is fruitless because the bar is constantly raised. I mean, for most people, that would be sort of depressing. But she maintains the ability to stay optimistic by focusing on positivity, a message I am 100% behind. I can't help but wonder if she has more perspective than so many of us because... 
she has a disability. Her TEDx talk is literally called The Power of Perspective. She's mastered this ability to simply shift how she perceives a situation. You need to take a moment to watch her speech. It's only two and a half minutes. Ashley is definitely going places. I am so happy we had the opportunity to hear her at age 20. I can't wait to interview her every decade of her life or how about every year? There are so many messages in this. This episode is awesome. It's just, I really love the way she chose to describe herself. Hungry. What would it be like if we all lived hungry? Seriously. Something to think about. We lose hunger in our lives. Like, let's get it back. Her final nugget. You have more control than you think in what you do and how other people respond to that. By living a life that makes you happy, you inadvertently make other people happy. As I said, Ashley is contagious. I hope you follow along with what is sure to be an incredible life for her. All right, it's time to wrap it. Be sure to sign up to win a $50 Skirt Sports gift certificate. We're going to make sure I drive this home every episode. I will be choosing a winner every quarter. After a little experimentation, I decided it's going to be easiest for you to simply sign up for my newsletter at NicoleDeBoom.com. I will choose a random person from my newsletter list every quarter. By the way... I rarely send them out, so don't worry. It's not a spam attack, but when I do, they're really good ones. All right, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.